0: Once again, catching us up and putting us on the same page, we're remembering that coming out of Easter, we've been asking the question, how are we changed and what difference does it make? And we saw a couple of weeks ago right after Easter that according to the catechism of our church, that prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness. And then in light of that, we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer. And as you've heard the theme, we are up to this morning that second request Your kingdom come. And to help us understand that, we're first going to be looking at the catechism and the wisdom of the church. I will ask the catechism's question and invite you to join with me aloud as we read the answer that is on the screen. And so I ask, what does the second request mean? Your kingdom come. We're going to need the next slide. (laughs) Join with me. Your kingdom come means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you keep our church strong and add to it destroy destroy the devil's work destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. Well, of course, we not look to the catechism, but we look to Scripture for our understanding. And we're going to be looking at two different texts. Uh, first of all, from Luke 14, a parable that Jesus tells in verses 15 through 24. If you'd like to follow along in your few Bibles, that's on found on page 1038. Otherwise, the words will again be on the screen. While at a dinner party, the text says, when one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, And at the time for the banquet, he sent his his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out and quickly to the streets and lanes of the cities, and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my household may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Furthermore, we want to look at a few verses from Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he, again, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if many of you had the opportunity to pay attention, but yesterday was a pretty historically significant day as King Charles III was coronated as King of England and over the entire British Empire. And now, I didn't pay very much attention to it, but it is a significant moment in history And in thinking about an earthly king and the kingdom that he is now taking over, I thought there were some things that can both help us understand what it means to pray your kingdom come, but also some difficulties uh, that it might raise for us in that understanding. I say this because right away in my studying on the subject your kingdom come, I was hit with that struggle. This is a humongous topic covered throughout the testaments of scripture in the Old Testament, you have the the issue of the, the kingdom of Israel and whether or not and how much of it was as the representative, there's the kingdom of God on earth in that place at that time. And then in the New Testament, when Jesus shows up, he begins his ministry, just like John the Baptist, by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then as a big part of his ministry and his teachings, he would tell parables And the vast majority of the parables that he told started with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's where we got the story that Luke has told to our children this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was buried in a field. And sometimes when Jesus talks about the kingdom, it's very clear that he's talking about something that is available, that is open, that is near. Like he proclaimed at the beginning of his ministries and other times. He alludes to to the kingdom of heaven as something that's in the future, something that we're waiting for to, to see. And so in all of that, how do we understand or even begin to look at this subject of your kingdom come? And that's where I went back to King Charles. And I said, well, let's just get to the basics. What do you need in order to have a kingdom And how are we to understand this is, in some ways, another analogy. And so, first of all, we recognize you need a king. You need that person who is in charge, the individual that is honored and recognized as having authority. And so, yesterday, that's what was all about in this coronation. This man, Charles, the son of the former queen, is now being recognized As the one who is in charge. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, obviously we are talking about the place where God is king. His authority, his rule, his reign. He is the one who is in charge. Now on the one hand, when we pray your kingdom come, there's nothing that we can do to make God king. That is a truth. That exists he as creator is the king and yet we do have a choice on whether or not we will submit to his authority and that gets us to the the second you thing you need to have a kingdom and that is subjects people who will be willing to serve and recognize the authority of the king Someone can claim to be a king all they want. They can put on whatever fancy outfits and hold whatever scepters that they want to hold. But they've got nobody who's going to be listening to them. They don't have a kingdom. And that was highlighted in our first part of the Catechism Answers. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying this. Rule over, your wor- rule over us. By your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. And so that prayer, your kingdom come, starts with me. With you, with us. And it's saying, let us, O Lord, be your subjects. That as you are the king of the universe, we, your people, want to submit to your rule and your ways. Your rule and your ways as expressed to us by your word and your spirit. And so God, as king, we are submitting to you. We want to be your subjects more and more, observing your authority in our lives. So we need a king. We need subjects, and then we need a realm. We need territory that the person rules over. And again, with Charles III, you have the whole list of land that is now under his authority, includes England and all of the nations of Great Britain and its territories, including places like Canada, have some sort of reign over him. But in the United States, The king has absolutely no authority over us ever since our Revolutionary War uh, from the Americans in the 1776. And so his rule, his realm, his reign stops at our borders. And he has nothing to say about how we live our lives and how we conduct ourselves. But if you go to a different land, well, there he is in charge. But what about the kingdom of God? Can we point to a place on the map where we are trying to say, ah, that's where God reigns and that's where he doesn't. Where are the borders of the kingdom of God? Now, when the catechism continues in its answer, it says your kingdom come when we pray that also means keep your church strong and add to it. But is that saying something about territory? On the one hand, it sounds like a territorial claim about boundaries, that the church of God, where it exists, where it has dominion, that that is where God's rule and reign is claimed. But again, it doesn't really seem to be so much about territory. And then it continues in the Heidelberg Catechism when it says, destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. And so that seems to suggest very much that while we recognize and want the kingness of God and, and his subjects, that there is a place that is his. And yet there's also territory that is not his. Things that are doing the bidding of the devil instead of the bidding of God that is rejecting the authority of God, but submitting to the authority of the devil. And again, is that a territorial claim? Are we talking about land and a realm in that? And it's in asking that question is why I wanted to include Luke 17:20 20 and 21 in part of what we read these few verses, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees about when the kingdom of God would come. And especially in the way that Jesus answers their question, it exposes that that what they were thinking about in terms of kingdom was very much territorial. It was very much earthly. It appears that they had in mind the kind of, of kingdom and realm like the Old Testament nation of Israel, where the son of David would sit on a throne and he would say, this land is my land and all who live in it are my subjects. And the reason they were looking for this was at this particular time in history, although Israel as a nation had a king, King Herod, who sat on a throne, really he was under the greater authority of the emperor of Rome. So everything that happened, even in the territory that Israel claimed, was under the real rule of the Roman Empire. And what these people wanted was for someone to reclaim, to reestablish that land, that independent country that could be said, this is our, this is God's territory. And by the way, there are many Christians who believe the same. Today, that fundamental to our job as Christians is to claim that land for God, to develop a a Christian nation, whatever that might look like, whether that be the the British Empire or the the United States or a land in part of the Middle East, that we say, this is God's territory, and so we're going to vote for leaders and elected officials who are going to enact God's laws over this land. But in the way that Jesus answers that question, he suggests that that is a mistaken way of looking at things. He says to the Pharisees that asked, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And the answer that Jesus gives there is that The kingdom of God is not about any particular territory on the map. It's not about boundaries and borders that you can point to. Instead, the kingdom is in the midst of you, or as some translations would say more literally, the kingdom is within you. The territory that God wants control over is not a piece of land on the map in the Middle East, or in the United States, or anywhere else. Instead, the territory that God wants to control is the hearts of individuals. And so the church will go, and the work of the devil will be defeated more and more as people surrender their hearts to the authority of God. Not that they claim physical space, But where their hearts are surrendering to God, that is where you will find the kingdom. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we have to think a little bit differently about the idea of the realm. But let's also look at the original question from Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Because in that, they don't ask where is the kingdom of heaven, even though that's how God answers the question. But they ask when is the kingdom will come. And that leads to another important issue for us. When we look at the the broad theme of the kingdom of God, his reign, his authority, we see how that changes through scripture. That when he originally created everything that existed and he put Adam and Eve in the garden, absolutely everything was under his control. And everything that Adam and Eve, all of humanity at that time did, was in service and subjection to God as their king. But when the devil and his angels rebelled against God and then Adam and Eve fell, well now that kingdom gets divided. And there are those who at time will continue to submit to the authority of God. And as we have already alluded to, there are those who will instead submit to and serve the devil. And so the battle is who is going to win the hearts of individuals. And as that battle continues throughout time, the great promise is that the day is coming when our resurrected Lord and Savior will return to this earth. And once again, he will fully and forever establish his complete reign and rule over the lives of those that he has called into his glorious heaven. Where together, once again, everything we will do will be in subjection to our God. But in the meantime, the question remains, well, where is the kingdom of God? And that's why, as I said earlier, there are times when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. He's talking about something that clearly is meant for right now. And he's describing something that is on the earth presently. But he, there are other times where he talks about the kingdom as if it is in the future. And the catechism develops that when the last comment, it says about what it means to pray, your kingdom come. It says that we are asking that God will do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect That in it, you are all in all. And that won't happen until Christ returns. However, this is another area where I think we can misunderstand what it means to pray your kingdom come. Because when we hear about that final statement and we think about the future reign of God, we forget everything that was said before that. And we think that to pray your kingdom come It's basically saying the exact same prayer of, come Lord Jesus, return, end this battle, and establish your kingdom once and forever. And this seems to be the issue of the people that were referred to in the parable of the great banquet of Luke chapter 14, that their minds were that the kingdom is something entirely in the future. The scene starts where we picked it up at a dinner party where one of the guests pipes in, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He says this suggesting that after Jesus had made a comment about inviting the poor and the needy to banquets, He wants to kind of break the tension that Jesus brings in, and he says, Well, yeah, the poor and needy right now, but isn't going to be great that day when there won't be poor and needy, and when all of us are able to eat in that kingdom that will come in the future. And in response to that, Jesus tells this parable. He tells this parable of a banquet, where right away an invitation goes out, and someone says, I'm going to have a party. Do you want to come? And several people say, Yes, I want to come to that. That sounds great. So he makes his profess- preparations. He's planning on the numbers. He makes his big banquet. And then he sends his servants out and he says, Okay, now is the time. The food's ready. The table's set. Let's go. The party's here. But all of a sudden, as soon as these people find out that now is when the banquet is happening, they're not available. And in short, in each one of the excuses that are presented, it appears that they're too busy, too worried about building their own kingdoms, too occupied by developing their land and their holdings of animals and different relationships that they are no longer available to come to this banquet. And therefore, they miss out. And others are pulled in and invited to come because they were too busy when the actual banquet was taking place. And that's what I fear is going to happen to those that assume that the kingdom is just something in the future. Yes, we want to go to heaven. And we want to be part of that great banquet after we die. But we miss the moments where the kingdom exists now. And now... We're just too busy developing our own kingdoms. The kingdom is not just something that we are waiting to come one day down the road, but opportunities and invitations to the kingdom are all around us each and every day. And ultimately, that's where I want to challenge us to think about the kingdom of God and what it means to pray, Your kingdom come. To elaborate on that, I wanted to use an illustration that I got from a book I read a long time ago. It's by the Christian musical artist named David Crowder. It's called Praise Habit. And in the book, uh, Crowder talks about the fact that he actually had a restaurant that was directly across the street from the house where he lived, and so he ate there very regularly. And in this restaurant, they had on the wall a sign that said, You are here. And he doesn't elaborate on it, but likely it's just kind of playing off as a joke, those things that you see on maps when you go to a zoo or a museum that identify you are here on the map so you can figure out where you are. But when David Crowder looked at that sign, he says, you know, there's a couple of ways that you can read that sign. On the one hand, you can read that as extremely limiting. You are here. And what that means is you are not anywhere else. You are a finite person that can only be at one place at a time. And so you're here, and this is all you've got. And in that, it's just this moment. This is all you have, and the moments are quickly fading away, so you better grab onto it in this moment or else it's gonna fade, and and this is again all you have. That's one way of looking at that sign. But then he continues. And he says this, but I disagree. I read, You are here, and I am equally inspired to be fully present in this moment. But it is more, I am bringing the very kingdom of God. I read, You are here, and I, ignoring the dramatic punctuation of finality, think, The kingdom of God. Is sitting in this restaurant waiting to bring something better I've always loved that idea and this is the concept this world has stepped away from the authority of God that's the fundamental definition of sin God I know this is what you want But this is what I want instead. And so I'm not going to surrender to your authority. I'm going to be the authority of my own life. And I will choose for myself. And in that, our world is divided where all of the time there are those that are opposing God while we hope and pray that there are more and more who will surrender to God. And when we pray, your kingdom come. Yes, we're looking forward to that moment where everything will be fully restored. But you're also being invited into the kingdom today. God wants to rule your life And he wants to lead you into a deeper and more meaningful existence right now. And what is more, God is inviting you to be his ambassadors and to pray, your kingdom come, is another one of those prayers that we can't pray with honesty if we're not willing to just say the words, but follow up with action. And we act in the way that David Crowder described well. When you're part of the kingdom of God, wherever you are, The kingdom of God is there. And therefore, you have the opportunity to bring a little bit of light, a little bit of reclamation, and a little bit of reconciliation to that hurting and fallen world. That can happen when you're with a group of people and almost all of them are walking by someone that has an obvious need. But because you pray your kingdom come, you stop to meet that need. That can happen when you're at the group of people and everyone is mocking and, and picking on somebody else, but because you pray your kingdom come, you stand against those that join in the mocking and you stand against what they are doing. That can happen when you are all alone by yourself and you feel the temptation to do something that you know is not right. But because you pray your kingdom come, you choose to surrender to the authority of God rather than your own fleshly desires. That can happen when you're out, busy with a a day full of activities that you need to do to get done in order to make sure that your life doesn't fall apart. But because you pray your kingdom come, you recognize that the other person in the field needs a hand for a moment. Or someone else near you needs you to just step away from your business in order to ask how their day is going. And every time we do those things, we bring the kingdom of God, that bit of reconciliation, rebuilding, reestablishing what has been broken by the devil to this earth right now. And that's what I want to encourage you in terms of thinking about what it means to pray your kingdom come. Yes, it means, Lord, come back. We are longing for that day when your kingdom will fully be established and we no longer have to deal with the struggle of living in a broken earth and fighting in ourselves against our fleshly desires. But it also means that I want to be your subject and I will surrender more and more to my life, to your will and your way. It means that we want to grow his kingdom, that we want a church that is strong, and that we want to use that church to destroy the work of the devil and his desires to claim the hearts and lives of people that are around us. And in doing all of that, I hope that our eyes are always open to the opportunities that God presents to you every moment of the day, wherever you are, because you are there, The kingdom of God has an opportunity to shine. And so look for those opportunities this week. As you work, as you go to school, as you interact with your neighbors, look for the ways where God's kingdom can come. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, as we pray to you and we use those words that you are our Lord, that's what this is all about. We thank you for saving us, but having been saved, we pray that we would submit to your authority and rule in our lives, that we would be your faithful subjects, living lives worthy of the calling that we have received. And not only may that be the truth of our hearts and our lives, but may we seek to bring that hope, that light that you brought through the resurrection of your Son into a world that needs that news so desperately. And so open our eyes through your Spirit to the opportunities that are all around us to present and proclaim that your kingdom has come. Use us to be your hands and feet in this world. And so when we pray with our lips, your kingdom come, it would be matched with our works of service to you, our King, as we seek to expand your kingdom, not in terms of space on a map, but that more and more hearts and lives would be surrendered to you. It is because you are the King, our Lord and our Savior, that we pray this. Doing so in Jesus' holy name, amen.